I was just looking at uh, some research from Sandvak in 2011 that looked at uh, all the uh, world-class uh, Norwegian uh, cross-country skiers, and they actually were spending 85% of their time in uh, in Zone 1, not even Zone 1 to Zone 2, but Zone 1 was 85% of their time. The Triathlon Show 121. Hey, what's up everybody and welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host Michael and on today's episode I interview coach David Warden and the topic will be why and how you most likely need to train slower to get faster. I'll give it away right here from the start. This is all about not getting stuck in that gray zone that feels like you're getting a good workout in, but you're still fairly comfortable. So that's not a great stimulus and it actually takes away from the workouts where you really need to go fast. And there is a ton of studies, as we talked about actually in last episode a bit, that reveal that endurance athletes improve the most when they consistently do around 80% of their training at a very low intensity and the other 20% can be moderate to high intensity. And that 80-20 distribution is uh, the the idea for the name of uh, the book that David is coming out with together with Matt Fitzgerald. It's called 80-20 Triathlon and it will be out later this year but today David and I discuss that topic in advance and you can check out that book later as it comes out. So we get into all sorts of things about this, like the the science behind it, uh, how most age groupers usually train, it is not 80-20. We discuss whether this still applies if you have a low training volume, like training 5-6 hours per week. And of course, a lot of practical advice for how to get started with 80-20 training. One thing that I want to mention about David is that in addition to being the co-author of 8020 Triathlon, he is also the co-author of Triathlon Science. He actually wrote quite a few of the chapters there, the training related, I think from memory that things like interval training uh, are chapters that David wrote in Triathlon Science. And he's a very successful coach and athlete himself. But before we dive into the interview, let's thank our sponsors. This episode is sponsored by Precision Hydration. And electrolyte needs used to be, and for most athletes probably still is, a guessing game. You'd pack your salt tablets for a race, but you'd have no idea how many of them you should take. And if you did, it was based on generic advice that was not tailored for your individual needs. And Precision Hydration is out to change that. You can take a quick, simple and free online sweat test on precisionhydration.com. It has been validated. It is very accurate in finding out how much electrolytes you lose in your sweat. And then based on that, you can purchase the correct strength of electrolyte products and uh, and you your test results will tell you how much of this product you should take and how often in your racing and in training for that matter. So go to precisionhydration.com, take that test and you can get your first box for free using the promo code that show all one word, all caps. 
This episode is also sponsored by Ventum. One thing that I don't think I've mentioned before when it comes to Ventum is that they realize that uh, however fast and aerodynamic a bike is, being fast starts with a great fit. And for that reason, the Ventum bikes are available in five sizes to accommodate a wide range of riders and positions. And uh, they have all standard sized parts, so no, you can get uh, add your own aftermarket components to really tailor it to you if you want to, if you're kind of a mechanics geek. Uh, it's uh, not something that you would need to get special parts from Ventum or anything like that. They make it very easy to make adjustments. And also, regarding these sizes, this is something I talked about with Jimmy after interviewing him in episode 115. They test all of these different uh, bike frame sizes separately to meet recognized safety standards. And uh, this is intense testing, but they do it for all the sizes. And a lot of manufacturers don't because there is a loophole so that you can get away with just testing one size and get the approval for all of your sizes, which doesn't make a lot of sense because the geometry is slightly different when you change the size. But uh, Ventum doesn't care that they could get away with that loophole. They still test all of those sizing sizes according to according to this intense testing protocol that meets the gold standards like, like ISO. So you can check out the Ventum bikes on VentumRacing.com and don't forget that you get 110% towards the purchase of your Ventum bike when you for your old bike. All right, so let's just start with the interview with David Warden. All right, so today on Death Triathlon Show, I'm very pleased to welcome David Warden. We've had uh, a warm-up with uh, trying to get all of these technical things to play together, but now we're here, so welcome, David. Michael, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me on your show. It's a great pleasure, and the topic for this interview will be uh, mostly around polarized training and training intensity distributions in general. So let's just jump right in, and can you define polarized training for us? You know, I believe I can define polarized training, but I would suspect that if you asked uh, 10 to 15 different coaches how they would define polarized training, or, or even 10 to 15 researchers and physiologists on how they would define polarized training, you would probably get uh, a non polarized set of answers, you'd probably get a distribution of answers on, on what they consider polarized training. Uh, so uh, polarized training from, from the colleagues I work with, from my peers, from my mentors, would be training that focuses on the very upper end of the intensity uh, of, a, of an athlete's ability to train. So we're talking about you know well above at threshold or higher or well below lactate or ventilatory threshold um, or lower so that the, the polarization excludes something in the middle, something you'd call moderate intensity. And in, in fact, in um, Matt Fitzgerald's uh, introductory book to 80-20 training back in 2011, um, he uh, separates uh, training into low, moderate, and high intensities. I would propose that, that polarized training is training that excludes the moderate intensities, that if you are undergoing polarized training, you would be doing either low intensities or high intensities and uh, uh, avoiding those moderate intensities. And of course, as you've kind of alluded to already, polarized training is, is different than an intensity distribution, which we'll talk about, I'm sure, further. 
Yeah, and uh, one thing that I think is pretty important and that uh, I see misunderstood when, for example, reading reading on social media and on uh, on forums and things like that is that actually the mo- moderate intensity training can be a mis- misconstrued because uh, a workout like, let's call it, let, let's say a sweet spot workout or sub-threshold workout, that could be uh, considered a hard workout, depending on how you look at it. But uh, when you define it as threshold or above, that makes it quite a bit more clear, in my opinion, than just saying, hard easy not moderate uh, do you uh, do you agree with this i do i would say that uh, and there's different we could also of course the, the term threshold can uh, involve a little bit of debate as well right but in general let's assume that a threshold is the point of an intensity that you can only maintain for a finite period of time and that, that may be 30 minutes to an hour let's say um, that if you define that that threshold means that that it's that's the point that unlike let's say low intensity where you can maintain for hours and hours at a time um, a threshold intensity would be the point that you would only be able to maintain it for 30 to 60 minutes I think most people would agree on that they would just maybe argue about what uh, if it was on closer to the 30 minute point or the 60 minute point and anything that would be a threshold or above I would consider high intensity but the hard part is that moderate intensity is is really difficult to define Um, and uh, I think that's where you'd have a variety of opinions on what moderate intensity means. In in the 80-20 world, Matt and I have defined what we believe is moderate intensity, um, but I think that there are plenty of other definitions that would be uh, equally valid. And I don't think that we uh, we introduced Matt yet, or maybe I did an intro, which I haven't recorded yet, but Matt is Matt Fitzgerald, who you do a lot of work together with, and you have the book 8020 Triathlon coming out later this year, and we'll, I'm sure, talk about that as that happens, but just so the listeners uh, know who you refer to. But uh, let's, uh, let's talk a bit about, move on to the topic of training intensity uh, distributions and from polarized training has uh, come up the concept of 8020 uh, as you mentioned already and that is one of them so so what goes into that if we start with that training intensity distribution Mm-hmm. So, so back in uh, 2011, Matt uh, worked with a physiologist named Steven Seiler, who is, uh, is a world-renowned physiologist and, and uh, researcher. And Steven had uh, presented some information to Matt regarding how world-class athletes train. And Steven had found that almost without exception, world-class athletes spent 80% of their time at low intensity and then the remaining 20% of their time at moderate to high intensity. Um, Matt found that fascinating, decided to write a book called 80-20 Running and and uh, Matt and I will be coming up with the uh, follow-up to that book, 80-20 Triathlon, which will be published later this year. But the, the 80-20 concept is an intensity distribution concept as opposed to a polarized training concept. Those are two different things. The 80-20 concept is as simple as saying that we believe that the best athletes and the best results come from spending 80% of your time at low intensity and the other 20% of your time at moderate to high intensities. And that's been supported by what the best athletes in the world do, whether it's cross-country skiing or cycling or rowing or, or running. They, they, the best athletes tend to follow approximately – they're somewhere between 78-22. Occasionally, you'll see an 86-14, but it's very close to 80-20 distribution. And of course – 80-20 is easy to remember, and so I think we'd sell more books uh, as 80-20 triathlon than 
218 triathlon. So we, we, we go down to, to 80, 20. Um, the, uh, the polarized piece is how much of that 20% do you spend at moderate training versus the high intensity training? So the polarized piece, if once you accept that the optimal intensity distribution is 80, 20, the only other piece that is somewhat perhaps unclear, is how much of that 20% is high and how much of that 20% is moderate. And we cover that in our in our book, and I have some opinions on that. But we, we do believe strongly, based on Steven Seiler's work and supported by empirical evidence of elite athletes, that the best intensity distribution is to spend 80% of your time at low intensity. So let's get into that then. How What are your opinions on the 20% on ah, moderate right. and high intensity? Matt and I distribute that 20% in a periodization um, process. So, of course, periodization refers to uh, throughout your training season that you would spend different periods of that season focusing on different skills or attributes or levels of intensity. So in our in our, our book, which includes training plans, our, our book includes uh, training plans for all distances of triathlons for multiple levels, um, we spend the first part or the general phase of the triathlon at a very polarized level, meaning regardless of your training for an Ironman or a sprint, for about the first eight to 12 weeks of all of our plans, the training is highly polarized. We avoid the moderate intensity because our goal is to is to increase your base thresholds across the board. And again, whether you're your sprint or Ironman, our goal in all of our plans is to get your base speed as fast as possible so that when we move to the specificity and do more endurance training, you can maintain a higher speed because we're asking you to maintain a higher percentage of that threshold or uh, essentially um, we want you to maintain, let's say, 80% of your FTP during a half Ironman race. Well, if your FTP is 250 watts, you'll have better performance than if your FTP is 200 watts, right? So we're trying to increase your base threshold over the general phase. So we are very polarized in that 20% margin during the first part of any training plan. Then we move into the specific phase of the training plan, and that's where the training really diverges based on the distance of the plan. For half and full Ironman training, we'll introduce quite a bit of moderate intensity because that is the best intensity to race at for a half Ironman or for even a marathon or half marathon, that those are events that will take much more than an hour to complete. Um, and therefore, some moderate intensity is appropriate for those distances. For the sprint and Olympic, we will then uh, we will still not do moderate intensity, but we will not do the high end of the polarized training. We'll stick more with a uh, what we'd call zone three and zone four work, and avoid zone five because zone five is not necessary at any level of racing, right? Even at sprint and Olympic, that very upper, upper level of intensity that maybe you can only maintain for one or two minutes is not called upon in, uh, at least it's not called upon in amateur uh, non-draft legal racing. And so we would then focus on race-specific intensity for sprint and Olympic, which would not include moderate, but would also not include the upper end of that polarized range. And we focused on more of what we'd call zone three and, and zone four. So to maybe summarize, maybe we should I, define define ahead, your yeah. your zones here uh, because <laughs> I think course. that you I know that you use uh, you have zone one zone two and then zone X and then zone three is that how it right. works so That's so correct. what what's zone three and zone four and zone five uh, if you describe them in in your own words 
course. Let me use that in terms of, of heart rate, for example. So this may make more sense to your listeners if they go to 8020endurance.com and look at our zone calculator, perhaps while I'm, I'm describing this or at another time, whenever it's convenient for them. Um, but we, we do employ a seven-scale zone, which is very common. Joe Friel uses one. Coggin uses one. Most zone systems have about five, six, seven, maybe eight different zones. Um, we employ what's called zone X and zone Y. So our zone distribution goes zone one, two, X, three, Y, four, and five. So even though we have seven zones, we only have five numerical and we have two alpha. Now, the reason for that is, is that when Matt introduced his book in 2011, he made a decision at that time and I'm not sure if I agree with Matt, but at that time, what Matt decided to do was to not even name the, the zones that he wanted you to avoid, Th that those moderate intensities, he said he decided that he wasn't even going to name them. So in Matt's old zone system, it went zone one, zone two, zone three, but there was this unnamed gap between zone two and zone three that Matt was trying to get you to avoid in order to try and push you more toward a polarized kind of training, right? Um, and his idea was is that if, if, if he didn't even name the zone, you would avoid it. Well, that, that was not a bad idea, but it caused a little bit of confusion in some athletes. So when we introduced 80-20 triathlon, we decided to name the zones. But in order to maintain the integrity with Matt's old train, you know, zone system, we simply named the previously unnamed zones. It always reminds me of Voldemort, like the, you know, the, the, the bad guy who cannot be named. We, we've decided to name the zones X and Y, and, and those are the zones that are, that are now named. So in a 80-20 zone distribution system, Low intensity, or zone one and zone two, would be um, between 72 and 89% of your threshold heart rate, of your lactate threshold heart rate. So if your threshold heart rate was 160, for example, zone one would start at 115, and the upper end of zone two would be 143. That would be our proposed 80% that you're spending in low intensity zone one and two. Our proposed uh, moderate intensity is that zone X, that we feel that most athletes fall into a trap in zone X. Zone X is the, is the zone which most athletes like to train in because it, it's hard enough that it feels like you're getting a good workout, but it's not so hard that you're uncomfortable. So athletes naturally fall into this zone X, which puts them in a position where they're not really gaining new fitness because the intensity is not high enough, but they're also fatiguing themselves enough that they can't gain new fitness during the next workout. So it's this trap. So that zone X is where in the general phase, we try and have athletes completely avoid because we're trying to build new fitness. We want them to go either really, really easy in zone one or zone two, or really, really hard in zone three, four, or five. Um, then zone three is going to be approximately 96 to 100% of your lactate threshold. So it's about a seven to nine beat range um, that we'd call your threshold range. And, and zone three goes all the way up to your lactate threshold. If 160 was your lactate threshold, then your zone three would be about 153 to 160 or the upper end of your threshold. And then zone four and five are just tiny slivers of, of additional intensity above zone three that are above your thresholds. Yeah, got it. So so for the listeners that are used to my talking about zones, when I talk about zone three, uh, that's kind of the moderate range and my zone four would correspond to your uh, zone three and maybe zone 
zone, five, zone 3 and zone 4 combined so that threshold range a bit on both sides is how I use that so so that's just to clarify that when you when you talked about zone 3 being high intensity uh, that uh, you need to put that in context that's uh, right around or just below threshold uh, up that's until correct. threshold and, and not uh, not the way that you you're maybe used to hearing about zones because I use more the Norwegian five zone system that uh, that Steven Seiler Seiler's work is also uh, using, although they combine them typically into just three zones, so they lump together zones one and two, and then zones uh, zones four and five. But right. uh, so yeah, one more question about the zones for the zone X, the first gray zone that you should avoid. Where in relation to that is the aerobic threshold, which is something many listeners will be familiar with. Right. Um, I am. I don't feel comfortable um, specifying where I think the aerobic threshold or ventilatory threshold would fall in zone X because I am unsure. Um, I feel very confident in our testing with uh, with lactate threshold testing, and we, we've we have uh, um, benchmarked these tests against actual lactate threshold. But I I am unsure where it falls in with ventilatory or aerobic threshold. So, um, so what about so, it have, do Do you have the first lactate turn point then, which uh, Usually, right or wrong, it, it's often used interchangeably <laughs> with the with the aerobic threshold. Uh, right, I would I would propose that the uh, that though the upper end of zone three for us is approximately four millimole of uh, accumulation of lactate, and so you're going to have um, the about two millimoles of lactate at the upper end of of zone two, and that kind of squishy area between two and four millimole is what we'd call our zone X is going to be somewhere in that range. Okay, yeah. Uh, so let's then uh, actually let's talk a little bit about uh, one practical thing that I have gotten a question about a long time ago, and I just remembered it when I was preparing the questions for this interview. And that was somebody asking me about in polarized training. How do you calculate these percentages, like eighty percent? Uh, in the the easy training zones and 20% in the hard is it on a workout by workout basis or is it actual minutes accumulated or is there some middle ground how how does that work it's a great question, and we we have a whole chapter on this so that people can can do this on their own in our book. We although we do provide plans that have the 80-20 ratios built in, we want athletes to be able to do their own custom plan and be able to to calculate this on their own. Um, so uh, in Siler's work, he has always done this at a macro level, meaning he I've never seen anything that was done less than let's say eight weeks uh, of of training period at a time when looking at elite athletes. Um, we have followed a similar model, so. We, of course, don't prescribe or don't recommend that an individual workout always be 80-20 because that would actually be ineffective. We would say, though, that in a given month that your ratios should be approximately 80-20 for total time accumulated, not based on distance, but based on total time uh, that you're spending training. We, in our plans, we have it down to a week level. So week by week, we've decided that even though we probably could do something closer to uh, you know a month level in our plans we and with our individual athletes as well we try and hit that target on a weekly basis the calculation is is fairly simple um, it is calculate the total time you spent cycling and running and then calculate how much of that time was spent in zone one or zone two and if that equals 80%, voila, you have achieved 80-20 training for the week. The one exception we make, or there's a couple of minor exceptions, is on swimming. All of our plans use 
duration instead of distance on the bike and run. And we could have a whole other podcast on which method is better, distance or duration. And there's advantages and disadvantages to both. But we feel that for 80-20 training, the best method for the bike and the run is to use duration um, to manage your workouts as not distance. But for the swim, we make an exception because, of course, people are going to be, with, with very few exceptions, are going to be swimming in a fixed distance pool, 25 yards, 25 meters, etc. And so we target a 75-25 ratio um, in the pool um, because we have found that when you target about 75-25 by distance in the pool, it ends up equaling about 80-20 in terms of time. And that's because of the because of course you're spending less time. You're going faster in the 25% distance category, and so you are spending less time in that 25%. Therefore, we found that that the 80-20 ratios in time when swimming equal about 75-25 when calculated by distance. So then it's very easy as well in the pool. If you're doing a 2,000-meter um, swim, we would propose that 400 of those meters or 20% be done at high intensity or moderate to high intensity, and the other 1,600 be done at zone one to two. And uh, let's uh, actually, the swim is a great place to put in an example. Uh, I guess that you probably benchmark with uh, sometimes for a fixed distance test and not use heart rate because most athletes don't have swimming heart rate monitors. Is that right? That's correct. For our swim, in fact, for uh, for swim, bike, and run, um, we offer various measures of intensity. For the swim, we currently just use pace on the swim. We know heart rate is possible and even power for land-based um, in swim environments like a VASA ergometer will give you power. But we don't feel like those are adopted well enough that we need to introduce that in our plans at this time. So for swim, you're correct. We just use pace. For the run, we, use, uh, we have heart rate zones, pace zones, and power zones now that run power is because ubiquitous and, and many many people are introducing run power we have uh, run power zones and for the bike we have heart rate and power zones on the bike um, that those are all included in the plans as well as an r8020 calculator for each of those sports so so for the swim if we have uh, I don't know what what test exactly do do you propose is it uh, what distance or distance is we propose two separate tests for the swim. One is the uh, the standard critical velocity test. This is where the athlete performs two separate time trials, one of 400 meters or yards. It can be done in meters or yards, and the other in 200 meters or yards. And the athlete would choose to do it in meters or yards based on the pool in which they would do most of their training. If you're training mostly in a meter-based pool, we'd want you to do this test in, in, you know, in, in that same pool. Um, if you're doing it in yards, we want you to do the test in a yard-based pool, wherever you're doing it most. But regardless, it's a 400 approximately meter time trial followed by a 200 meter time trial. And then there's a mathematical formula that takes those two and proposes a lactate threshold. Um, there, there is a mathematical formula in the book that you can do on your own, or you can simply go to 8020endurance.com, plug the numbers in, and it will spit out the formula for you, which is, I think, a lot easier than doing the math. Or the second protocol that we recommend is a standard uh, 1,000 meter or 1,000 yard time trial, with the uh, threshold being your average pace per 100 of that test. Um, many new athletes struggle with that particular workout because they tend to uh, fade right over the thousand meters, but have a little bit more success over the 400 plus 200 since it's a smaller, shorter test separated by a little bit of rest. And so they're able to maybe maintain a little bit more consistent pace with that critical velocity test. 
Yeah. Uh, so, and I think the listeners are, oh, a lot of them are familiar with it. I talked about it back in episode 27. Great. So they can listen to that. I actually just myself, my preference tipped over from that uh, critical swim speed or critical velocity test uh, to the 1000 meter time trial. So now, since just a couple of months back, my athletes do the 1000 meter test and not the critical swim speed. But you're right, there there is that... Uh, it's not for complete beginners, definitely not. Any, anyway, so let's say that we have a swimmer who has, uh, let's say, a two-minute per 100 uh, critical swim speed or threshold speed. Uh, so how then, uh, what, what is the discrepancy between fast swimming pace and easy swimming pace? That's what I want to illustrate here, because that swimming especially is where you see a lot of triathletes falling into the just one single right. gear a trap. Yep. Let's use that as an example. So I've just plugged into our calculator someone who has a two-minute per 100 um, lactate threshold. Um, we would propose that zone one and zone two uh, range between 75 to 90 percent of that critical velocity or that speed, with zone one being 75 to 85 percent and zone two being 86 to 90 percent. That would equal um, the uh, zone one of being on the slow end, two minutes and 38 seconds, and on the fast end, two minutes, 21 seconds per 100. And zone two would be between uh, 220 and 212. Um, so it's a, a pretty broad range that you have to work in. There's a, there's a nice 26-second window for you to work in with zone one and zone two. Um, our zone X for a two-minute threshold would be a small six-minute, six-second window, excuse me, six seconds between 211 and 205. And then our zone three would be uh, 205 to two minutes. So the, the two-minute mark would be the upper end of that. So your, your threshold pace would be a, a small five-second, which in swimming is not actually that small. Five seconds is, is pretty broad in, a, in just a two-minute window. Um, and then, of course, zone four and five would be uh, slightly higher than that. And we would only introduce zone four and five for some brief 25 or 50-meter sprints with, with some rest in between. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's, uh, let's not talk too much more about that. But uh, something that I see a lot is that uh, athletes, especially those newer to swimming, go out and do the first 200 meters of warm up and they do it at uh, close to threshold or above threshold <laughs> sometimes. And then it just gets slower from there, <laughs> even though uh, the purpose right. is the exact opposite. So, but that, that just shows you that uh, 211, I think it was, was the, the upper end of, of that zone two, which was easy. So it's uh, quite a significant difference. So I hope that the, the listeners can take that away and, and start do the easy swimming easier so that you can go hard when, when it really matters. And you, you've picked on that's really the key here with 80-20 training. The, the key is is that the 80% allows you to get enough rest in between hard sessions. And when you combine that with a philosophy of hard easy, right, where you have easy days and hard days, what that allows you to do is it allows you to go harder on the hard days to build new fitness. You're not as fatigued. You're still getting all the benefit of the aerobic training from training, you know, 6, 10, 15, 20 hours a week. You're still getting all the benefit from that nice slow because there's lots and lots of benefits that come from just base aerobic training. You're getting all of that benefit, but then you're not so fatigued that you can't increase your thresholds through intense training. That's really the idea behind this is that you're, you're letting yourself go easy on the easy days. You're going hard on the hard days and you're avoiding that moderate intensity trap that doesn't let you recover, which doesn't let you improve fitness when you go harder on the subsequent day. Yeah, that, that's a great way to sum, sum it up briefly and, and succinctly. I really, really like that. 
I, I'm jump, jumping back and forth a little bit here, but uh, related to that, you mentioned uh, the uh, accumulating time and building that aerobic base. And uh, contrary to that, there are some philosophies which may be necessary for some athletes that are very limited on time, but with low training volume and a lot of it being of a very high intensity, definitely not 80-20. Like a couple of things that I, I wrote down in my preparations for this episode were uh, Chris Carmichael's Time Crunched Cycling Programs. Uh, I just uh, finished that book and actually a lot of the Trainer Road cycling programs, I really like, like them a lot, but uh, when you, especially on the low volume side or w- low volume programs it's uh, definitely not 80 20 uh, so so what's your take on those sorts of programs that uh, take much more high intensity approach to it's a great question training? i would say that the I, I don't want the 80 20 philosophy to come across as dogmatic um i would i would not say that 80 20 works in every single situation i would say it works in virtually all situations but you brought up a good point where i think there would be an exception uh, for someone who can only afford five six hours a week of training which by the way is a lot of exercise still i mean most uh, most governments would would recommend that a typical individual should exercise between three and six hours a week regardless if you're training or not right that's just a good amount of time to exercise many of us can only get three to six hours of training in a week i would say that any individual this is not empirical this is just my experience any individual can handle 90 minutes a week of moderate to high intensity training regardless of their total training time so let's say you only could train three hours a week i would have no objections with someone training three hours a week of doing 50 percent of their time at moderate to high intensity i i have not seen that be a detriment long term or short term to anybody's training and what that really means is that that 90 minutes is a cutoff of about seven to seven and a half hours that i would say anything below seven hours the 80-20 rule starts to be de- have diminishing returns under seven hours a week of training. Uh, once you get beyond seven hours, I think it does become paramount. At that point, you really can begin to overtrain if you're starting to to um, to go vary from those 80-20 ratios. But you're exactly right. For for I would agree with with Carmichael, etc. If you're training uh, very low volumes under seven hours a week, um, I would say that 80-20 becomes less relevant, and anybody can handle at least 90 minutes of moderate to high intensity training a week. When you get up to 15 plus hours, which most of our half and full Ironman athletes are doing, it becomes paramount that you follow 80-20 training because at that point, you can easily start to accidentally do five, six hours of high to moderate intensity training, and then you're falling into the trap where you can't gain new fitness. So uh, for those uh, that are training less than seven hours per week, would you, if you coach an athlete like that, would you by default fall into something that is not 80-20, or would you try 80-20 first until you see those returns start to diminish, as you say, and and then start to up the intensity? Yeah. What would be your approach? For a brand new athlete, it depends on their experience. For a brand new athlete, I would start off on 80-20 training regardless of the uh, amount of time uh, they're training per week, even if they're only training 33 uh, hours a week, just because uh, I think that a new athlete needs at least some sort of uh, – some sort of uh, – rules to or guidelines to to stick by so that they don't um, injure themselves right off the bat for an experienced athlete who who has done this for a long time and perhaps is just getting back into training after a long absence i would have no reservation about uh, prescribing them an hour of moderate to high intensity training 
uh, with three hours of total training for the week, which would be you know a third of their total training. So it depends a little bit on the experience of the athlete. So for a new athlete, I would be very close to 80-20, 75-25. For an experienced athlete just coming back, I would have no trouble getting them into the 30, 40, 50% of moderate to high intensity until we got back into an eight plus hour week. Mm. Perfect answer. Uh, very practical. So, and uh, now I'm going to jump back a bit to the science again, because this is something that uh, I never finished my thought on. But when you mentioned how you periodize that 20% of higher intensity, moderate to high intensity, uh, that was something that I meant to ask, uh, what uh, does the current uh, research evidence suggest about that, that 20% that's not easy? What, what can you say about that? Yeah, I was just looking at this um, before. Uh, in fact, yesterday I was just looking at this um, on a uh, kind of a meta study that uh, was recently published on looking at multiple other studies that had looked at intensity distribution. Um, and I'd say that uh, in looking at the those meta studies, what, what is amazing, first of all, is how frequently they follow the 80-20 rule. So you and I were talking about, for example, um, uh, of course, you're from Norway, and of course, Norway is the home of the greatest. Uh, actually, I'm from, I'm, from, I'm from Finland, but oh, uh, Finland! Excuse yeah. me, I'm so sorry. That's, but, that's but, like, but like an have, insult. I, yeah, <laughs> I have a, I have a heart that beats for Norway as well. Quite there much. we go. Very good. <laughs> so I was just looking at uh, some research from Sandvik in 2011 that looked at uh, all the uh, world class uh, Norwegian uh, cross country skiers, and they actually were spending 85 percent of their time in uh, in zone one, not even zone one to zone two, but zone one was 85 percent of their time. So they were spending even more time um, in, in that uh, particular zone. However, when I look at another study at world-class cyclists, I find a study that shows that the uh, um, some pursuit cyclists spent um, about 80 uh, I'm sorry, spent about, um, n oh, it was, I'm sorry, 90% of their time at low intensity. Um, and so I, uh, it, it, it gives me pause to think that the 80-20 number, and there's other numbers here that show 75-25, but the distribution is so broad, I don't know if I can um, accurately answer how the different um, intensity distributions compare against each other. Um, because these are different sports, compare, it, it could be that it's very convenient for Matt and I to say that 80-20 works well for running and triathlon, but it could be that 10 years from now we discover that for cross-country skiing it needs to be 85-15, or for rowing it needs to be 75-25, um, and that it's more sport-specific than just a broad endurance sport. So I I, I probably can't give a satisfactory answer at this time other than I am confident that the 80-20 ratios, whether you're in the general or specific phase of training, um, are going to be with just in a few points of what the research will continue to support in five to 10 years. And maybe more specifically to answer your question, there is research um, on the distribution of elite athletes in the pre-competition phase and in the um, competition phase and in the rest phase. And there's a little bit of different distribution. Um, for example, uh, cross-country skiers in 2014 um, were shown in the preparation phase to have 87% uh, of their time at low intensity. And in the competition phase, only 84% at low intensity. Um, and that is a fairly consistent model across, uh, at least what I can find across other sports and other studies, is that there is a slight difference in, um, in changing to a slightly higher intensity in the competition phase 
versus the preparation phase. And I can understand that. But at the same time, I think that from a branding perspective and from a an 80-20 distribution is a little bit easier to follow than an 84-16 distribution if we wanted to be more precise. I, I hope I've answered that question accurately. Uh, actually, what I, what I was getting at, <laughs> uh, partially, but, but not yes. completely, uh, okay. I was getting at a bit more about the distribution between the moderate and the high-intensity zones because you, uh, you talked about yeah. having the... Uh, first higher intensity in the early phase of your periodization and then as you get closer to your race especially for Ironman you would have more in that moderate zone but uh, what do we know uh, do, do you know that from research on triathlon or any other sport or, or what does the research say about so, that so you can go back and just erase my whole answer because I didn't answer your previous question but uh, anyway I'll, I'll try and answer it better this time so um Unfortunately, I don't have uh, an answer based on research about the distribution of moderate versus high intensity in that specific phase. I am going off of the principle of specificity, which says that if you, you know, once you, if you want to do well at half Ironman racing, you need to train at half Ironman intensity. Your your bricks and your long workouts should somewhat mimic the pace at which you expect to do on race day. So the the distribution of moderate to high intensity in that specific specific phase is is simply based on my experience as a coach saying I need to have them have at least 10% of their time um, at that moderate at, at the intensity at which they will race for some athletes that may not even be moderate intensity for some ironman athletes their ironman intensity is going to be zone 2 upper zone 2 and not zone x at all right and so there may be some athletes who in the specific phase spend only 10% of their time at high intensity and spend 90% of their time at what we'd call low intensity, which includes zone two, because their particular Ironman intensity happens to be zone two because they may be inexperienced or that's just where they're at. For other athletes who can handle zone X for Ironman and half Ironman, I would spend about half of that 20% or about 10% of their time at race-specific intensity, which would be a moderate intensity. And that, yeah. that's not based on research. That's based on the principle of specificity, which I suppose is based on research, that you must be able to train um, in the intensity at which you expect to race to do well on race day. Yeah, that's that's a good answer, uh, even though it's not based on based on research, but uh, but it's uh, very very good still. It gives us gives us the reasoning behind it, and uh, and yeah, why why you do that. Is there, by the way, uh, you alluded to it already that we don't really know about how it might differ in different sports, but uh, do you consistently through your plans, you have 80-20 in each discipline, in running uh, separately, in cycling separately, and in swimming separately? Um, that is, uh, for, at a macro level, that is correct. Um, so we would have, of course, on the swimming, we go 75, 25 on distance. And that is that is done week by week. On the bike and the run, on our plans, I do not, uh, on a week by week basis, I don't ensure that each bike, the bike and the run are separately 80-20, but I do at a monthly level. So I make sure that each week the bike plus the run are always at an 80-20 distribution, and that at a monthly level, I go through and make sure that the separate bike and the separate run are done 80-20. So what that means is that in a given week, you might actually have a 90-10 or even a 75-25 based on, on a bike or on a run, and that's okay. It just means that the other discipline is, is making up for that at a higher or lower distribution. Um, so I, uh, I worry less about having the individual bike and run sport um, be exactly 80-20 on a weekly basis 
but I do double check on a monthly basis that the that the individual sports so that we don't accidentally train someone at a 90-10 on the run and a 70-30 on the bike on, on right. a macro level. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, got it. Uh brilliant. So uh, let's uh, start to wrap it up here with this discussion for now. This is a topic that we could go on for hours and hours about, <laughs> but I think that we would just maybe confuse the the message. So so let's, uh, if you can briefly, David, sum it up here in uh, two or three sentences. Why should athletes listening to this start to apply 80-20 training to their triathlon training? The first reason is that it's because they are likely already have fallen into a moderate intensity trap and they are likely already training at a 50-50 or 60-40 training. Um, second of all, it's easy to make the change if you monitor your workouts. If you monitor your intensity and understand your zones, it's an easy thing to fix on paper. The hard part is allowing, giving yourself permission to do it. Yeah, it's an ego thing. You you don't want, right. to, want to run slower and, and have people pass you when you could comfortably run so much faster but uh, right. that that's the yeah totally agree that that's that's a big challenge and uh how how can people uh, people check like where they are now in terms of if they're training 50 50 or already at 80 20 if we to g- give a practical step to start this can be somewhat difficult, and I'll use um, Training Peaks as an example. So I know there are multiple platforms. I love Final Surge, Golden Cheated. There, there are multiple platforms out there. But let's assume that many of your listeners use a Training Peaks type pro- profile. Um, unfortunately, with most of these uh, these training logs, um, you can go in, in Training Peaks, for example, you can go and put in these 80-20 zones. You can define and, and create the zones the way we've recommended them, including the zone X and zone Y and the, and the alphanumeric zone. You can set that up and then going forward, you can easily track and see how much time you're spending in each zone. Historically, that is a little bit difficult because as, as, a, as a, a, any frequent user of Training Peaks knows, once you complete a workout, it is then stuck in that zone. Once whatever your zone was defined, at uh, the day that you submitted that workout, you can't go back and change the zone. You can go back and change the TSS, for example. You can retroactively change the TSS and retroactively change your thresholds. But whatever zone you defined um, at the time you completed the workout, you're sort of stuck there. Um, So you you can go into Training Peaks or Final Surge Golden Cheetah and just for the heck of it, look and say, okay, um, how much of my time am I spending in what I think may be zone one or zone two? And that would be somewhat accurate. It would not be precisely the 80-20 philosophy that Matt and I have come up with, but it's going to be close enough that I bet that almost all of your listeners that go in and look at those ratios are going to be shocked at how much time they spend in what they would what whatever their platform considers zone one or zone two. Very few of them are going to be spending more than fifty percent of their time in zone one, zone two. Now I know this because of all the athletes Matt and I have worked with and picked up. We go through this process and, and go back retroactively and figure out how much time are they spending. And with Almost without exception, it's about a 50-50 ratio. Um, now, the best thing you can do is to make a commitment going forward to change your zones to match wh- whether or not it's our 80-20 zones or someone else's. At least commit to some sort of, of zone um, philosophy and then make sure you record all of your workouts. And after a week, look back and see how much of your time did you spend in, in virtually any zone system, zone one and zone two should be very, very high, right? It should be a high level, um, at least in a five zone system. If you're using a Siler zone the, the, three. The, t- the time yeah. in, in zones one and zones exactly. two to, to clarify. Yeah. That's right. That's correct. Um, in, a, in any 
five zone or higher system, zone one and zone two should be significantly higher than you have been doing it. Of course, naturally, I want to market our program. You, you don't have to purchase our program, so take advantage of our documentation at 8020endurance.com. We will walk you through this process. Even if you don't buy the book, we have documents on how you determine your zones, how you manage those zones, how you add those zones to various training log platforms, and how you can monitor those zones. Um, and that's all free without the book, and you can start tracking how much of your time you're spending at high and uh, moderate and low intensities. And are there any other practical tips that uh, that we should mention before we finish uh, this discussion that, uh, that athletes uh, should be aware of when they start embarking on this journey? Um, I think uh, probably the most important practical tip is making sure that you understand what your true threshold is, is that you test yourself frequently throughout the season because you, that can often change. All of the information I've given you is is based on an anchor point of understanding what your threshold really is. And there are various ways to test that. They're all great. They're all going to get really close to either what we recommend or, or what someone else would propose. Um, if you know your thresholds, then it becomes much easier to define what is low, what is moderate, what is high. So ensure that you test yourself frequently, which can be uncomfortable. It's a, a test, a threshold test is always difficult. It's always uncomfortable, and it should be. It's, it, you're, you're pushing yourself to the limit of your 30-minute or 60-minute capabilities. Even though it's hard, it's well worth doing that about every rest week, every third or fourth week in your training, you probably have a rest week. And uh, performing that test on the bike, the run, and the swim will help ensure you know what your at least what your your high intensity threshold is and then you can at least get very close to determining what your what your low intensity is and go for the uh, the the high percentage or 80% of your time there perfect all right let's move into the rapid fire questions so uh, these shall be answered within 15 seconds or less and let's start with what's your favorite book blog or resource related to triathlon or endurance sports Joe Friel's The Triathlete's Training Bible. Buy his book before you buy our book. It's just the best there is. What's your favorite piece of gear or equipment? Uh, definitely my Scott Plasma. I love that bike. I, I treat it like a member of the family. That's a nice bike. What do you wish you had known or done differently at some point in your career? I wish earlier in my career I'd understood the value of interval training and how it uh, improves performance at all endurance levels. This has been really great, uh, David, and I'm super excited for your book. Uh, you mentioned Matt's book, 80-20 Running, which uh, is already out, of course, and the listeners can check that out. But uh, you have a ton of resources on, on it's 8020endurance.com, is that correct? That's right. And the book is available for pre-order. So although it won't be out until the late summer, early fall, it can be pre-ordered now on uh, multiple platforms, hard copy, soft copy, Google, Amazon, Kindle, etc., Brilliant. And uh, so I'll link to that in the in the show notes so it'll be easy to find. Are there any other links or social accounts that we should mention? No, thanks. If you go to 8020endurance.com, that will be your portal to anything else we, uh, we'd love you to take a look at. Okay, uh, so that's uh, about it. Thank you so much for this, David. And uh, yeah, talk to you again soon. Thank you, Michael. I hope that you found that interview useful and uh, I think it definitely is one of the more important interviews I've done because as David said, he said that uh, they, they see with Matt that uh, athletes spend 50% of their time only in that uh, easy intensity zone 
and and this is not doing you any favors it is uh, actually probably causing you to not improve as you could if you're training doing your easy stuff easier than than you currently are uh, so my key takeaways from from this episode is that first of all let's summarize the premise of 80 20 training is that 80 percent of your training should be in that zone one to zone two very easy range because you still get all of the aerobic benefits but this allows you to recover better so that you can do your high intensity stuff really really well and nail it and prevent injuries and etc so that's that's the idea if you missed that <laughs> and uh, the second takeaway is that as i already said you are probably not training enough in those low intensity zones and you may think you are <laughs> most a troopers think they are training easy when they are in fact not again that that is something that any coach really will will see when they look at and start analyzing a new athlete's uh, training data if they have tra- a training peaks account for example so Oh, it's maybe okay if you have a low training volume, but uh, when your training volume is a bit tower, higher, we talked about that seven-hour threshold. When you get above that, it becomes mandatory. It's not something that will give you a little extra edge. It really is by far the best way to train. This is how all the world's best train, and they probably have much more ability time and resources to focus on recovery than you do Uh, you may have a family a job so you can't really recover as much and focus on that as the elites Uh, so why do you think that you can train harder than the elites it's uh, it doesn't make any sense and uh, the final takeaway is uh, let's not get dogmatic about it Uh, It was great to hear, this is a question that I've actually had for a long time in my head and thinking about myself, but I haven't uh, discussed it with uh, with anyone uh, until I talked with David about it. But hearing his perspective on those low-volume, high-intensity interval-type training programs, like, for example, the Trainer Road low-volume programs that we talked about, and uh, Chris Carmichael's time-crunched cycling programs, and... We and David said that his opinion is that yes, you can do 90 minutes of high intensity training in a week. Uh, if you're completely new, don't start at that level. But uh, otherwise, if you're below that seven hour mark per week, then you can sure you can you can skip that 80 20 distribution. It's not necessarily uh, the best for you. You may be better off by doing a bit more high intensity in your program. Related to this episode, make sure that you go back and listen to the previous episode, episode 120, which is called Training Priorities, Seiler's Hierarchy of Endurance Training Needs. Steven Seiler, of course, is uh, one of the researchers who has been the most prominent in uh, polarized training concepts and uh, doing this research that has, uh, well, David mentioned that it was when Matt Fitzgerald talked to Steven Seiler that he uh, came up with the idea to write 80-20 running. So uh, that is that episode is based on Seiler's hierarchy of training needs. You'll find a lot of complementing information there. For this episode, of course, as usual, you can go to thattriathlonshow.com and leave any questions or comments that you have on that show notes page and I'll get right back to you. In the next episode, I'll interview John Keeley, who is a researcher at uh, the University of Central Lancashire, and we'll talk about periodization theory and confronting an inconvenient truth about periodization. This is a fascinating interview, and uh, I've alluded to this topic in a few 
previous interviews so but now we'll finally have the man himself on who has done the most of the work really to bring this question to uh to put it front and center of what uh, endurance sports and sports in general strength and conditioning researchers and coaches are currently really thinking a lot about periodization how does it really work or does it at all one final thing before we go, I have an old blog post on scientifictriathlon.com on strength training, but uh, it's not old anymore because I just completely updated it. I'm still making small updates to it, but for most intents and purposes, it's done. It's uh, on scientifictriathlon.com forward slash strength uh, dash training for triathletes but if you just google scientific triathlon strength training for triathletes you'll find it it's it's almost like a like a small book it has whole, all the evidence and the practical takeaways i think it's nicely formatted so that you can easily find the parts that are uh, useful for you and it will just guide you through how to get your triathlon strength training right from start to finish go check it out i'm uh, pretty pleased with how it turned out if you like it, please share it as much as you can because I did put a lot of effort into it. So it would be really, really great if it could, uh, you know, go viral. <laughs> I hope that you can help with that. Thank you to our sponsors. First, Ventum. Thanks for sponsoring this episode. The Ventum bikes are the easiest superbikes to build, pack and travel with. And this is because Ventum co-founder Jimmy Sear is a former professional triathlete from Australia and one of his biggest complaints about his old bike was how much of a pain in the ass it was to break down and pack for travel. So if you travel to races then this alone is a reason to check out Ventum. If you don't yet have an hydration, a hydration and electrolyte strategy in place you have to go to precisionhydration.com and take their free online sweat test and that will get you that strategy in just a few quick minutes. No need to do extensive research, just answer a quick quiz and that will give you all you need to know. Even if you don't uh, use precision hydration products, that information is still accurate and that's what you need to follow whatever uh, hydration product or electrolyte products that you end up using. Of course, I highly, highly recommend precision hydration. I think they're the best, but uh, check them out and take that online sweat test Anyway, if you buy their products, you know that you can get the first box for free when you use the discount code THATTRIATHLONSHOW, all one word, all caps. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon.